Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 276th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most talented, versatile, beautiful, and popular young actresses in Hollywood. A woman who has starred in three of the most acclaimed shows of the past decade, playing completely different characters on each. Trudy Campbell, the ahead-of-her-time wife of an ambitious young Madison Avenue ad man on AMC's drama series Mad Men from 2007 through 2015. Annie Edison, a quirky former Adderall addict enrolled at a Colorado community college on NBC's comedy series Community from 2009 through 2015, garnering a Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series Critics' Choice Award nomination in 2012. And most recently, as Ruth Wilder, a struggling actress who winds up cast in an exhibition as a Soviet wrestler, Zoya the Destroyer, on Netflix's comedy series Glow, which premiered in 2017, bringing her Best Actress in a Comedy Series Critics' Choice and Golden Globe Award nominations in 2018, and which returned for a second season in 2018 and will be back for a third in 2019. Allison Bree. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 36-year-old and I discussed how she learned the difference between acting on stage and acting on camera, how she wound up in a recurring role on Mad Men before anyone ever dreamed it would become a cornerstone of a new platinum age of TV, and why she later turned down an offer to become a series regular, how she managed to juggle doing both Mad Men and Community simultaneously for years, sometimes having to report to both sets on the same day, why, after the two shows ended within three weeks of each other in the spring of 2015, she decided to hold out for as long as necessary for another part on an edgy show that would show a different side of herself, which of course ended up being Glow, a show almost exclusively starring, written by, directed by, and addressing the trials and tribulations of women, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. We've been looking forward to this for a few years. This is a good excuse now to to make it happen. And we always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> long way, long way. <laughs> just stayed. Yes. I just hunkered down. <laughs> My parents... My mother is retired now, but she worked in education all her life and all of my life. Yeah. And she did, a, I mean, a lot of different things. But, you know, her last job, she was an administrator for the Burbank School District was her final destination. Yeah. But a, a lot of different aspects of education she's worked in and starting first five programs and things like that. So education was always yes. very important in our household. Yeah. My father is an entertainment journalist. Where has he written? <laughs> Is he like he's in the building? A freelance, yeah, he's just next door. Um, he's a freelance entertainment journalist. And I feel like I know so little about that side of my dad's job. He's he's a musician mm -hmm. as well, which is really more of a hobby now. But when I was a little girl, yeah. he really made his money like playing gigs around town, playing cover sets, like playing music at um, bars and restaurants yeah. and things like that. And music was such a big part of our lives growing up, my sister and I, and like our household. So I just have always thought of my dad as a musician, right. really, first and foremost. And then sort of the deeper I get in this industry yeah. and and as an adult sort of realize it. it's been this funny sort of thing of going like oh yeah you do this thing like you report on you know 
I, I guess he more, I guess he had does stories for People Magazine yeah. and Extra and things like that and reports on celebrity divorces and other things so like that down at the courthouse. He, he could have been, I mean, you said he still has, he's still in it a little bit? He's still doing it, yeah. Well, so... I, I guess it must be interesting he for him. He might be reporting you some, about uh, you. Yeah, no. articles. No, it's amazing. It, well, it's an interesting. Well, it's a, it was a, it became a funny thing. I think when I started to realize, like, you know, I'd send. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example of like sort of like when you don't want intimate details about yourself right. given to the press. <laughs> and my dad would be like, oh, but I can just tell the people in my office. Right. And I'd be like, no, no, specifically don't tell the people in your office our, our wedding date and location. Right. You know, things like that started to suddenly dawn on me just truly only in the last few years. Yeah. It's like I've been at such a distance from it that it's always, it's funny in interviews to, to even yeah. say that he does that is like a sort of funny great. part of his well, identity to me. So you, you grew up with this stuff around you in more ways than one but it sounds like you made a from what i was able to gather preparing for this like yes on the one hand you knew you liked performing at an early age but you were not Definitely. interested in being one of the many child actors in town no not at all yeah. i i really had a wholesome upbringing despite being so close to hollywood i i grew up in south pasadena by way of highland park so we lived highland park and then south pass and you know i just went to regular middle school and high school public school and was always heavily involved in our theater programs that i was head of publicity junior year <laughs> at South Pass High. And then I was a co-president my senior year of, of drama. the drama company. Okay. We took it very seriously. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just loved hanging out with my friends and I didn't want to go to LAXA, the like theater-focused high right. school in Pasadena. Maybe I had a fear of... I don't know, of, of competition at that age, but I do, my mom has told me, so I feel like I don't remember it clearly, and I've tried to give my parents more credit for it, like, wow, that's so cool that you didn't make me get involved in this at too young of an age, right. and my mom was like, well, I tried to take you <laughs> on some commercial auditions, and you hated it so much. I, I honestly think I had a lot more integrity when I was, like, a teenager. <laughs> Not since, you, since was, then you've sold out. Right? I, I Well, I do think I valued theater, and I, even from... When I was really little, I did plays with the Jewish Community Center in Los Feliz. Represent. And I mean, you know, got our, yeah, exactly. I, at Barnsdall Park, which is still a, a place I love to frequent. It's a great little right. park in uh, Los Feliz. And and then I took classes at the Pasadena Playhouse. I, I mean, I was I was so young, but I just had this appreciation for theater. Not that we have any great theater here in Los Angeles, <laughs> but I really liked doing the work. And I liked being a part of the theater programs at my school and I didn't I I just had this instinct I guess that I really wasn't like I need to be a star now I was like <laughs> I was like very pretentious about it I would like to have an, a normal upbringing and then break out in an indie movie or a period yeah, right. piece that was my plan when I was in high school if you do an indie movie or a period piece that they'll cast people that are not famous so right. that's how you can break out but at that didn't it's not how it went for me <laughs> well ironically i think one of the what was I, I won't gloss over the the college years but the first professional role was, was ophelia and hamlet oh what are you talking well it was role. a hannah montana oh, right? it was hannah montana professional <laughs> oh, fully so, you know, you film and television um <laughs> right not to gloss over my years your at the years, rubicon right. theater no, 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 in ventura very county important to, and we will um, note those but i was gonna say you can never map job. it all out absolutely no i know it's true i actually i went to cal arts as you said for college and yep. 
It's such a great school. I feel like I've told a lot of stories about like nudity there yes. and and sort of glossed over the fact that it's actually like a wonderful conservatory to study acting and very experimental and exciting. But again, I feel like the it, it certainly drills into your mind. You know, when you're in theater school and you're so focused on the craft of theater that's all I wanted to do. And I really was pretentious about people who did television specifically. Really? So it's, it makes me laugh all the time <laughs> that, that that's predominantly where I found my work. Well, it sounds like it was only after you got your BFA from there that now you're out in the world, you got to survive. And now screen acting becomes something you've got to think about as an option and get ready to possibly do. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that, yeah, I think what I realized immediately was that I liked acting no matter what the medium. So yeah. I wasn't, it was a little bit of a culture shock or something where you graduate school where you've just been able to do whatever you want mm -hmm. and let's do a scene from Romeo and Juliet, but it's like <laughs> modern and we're homeless, right. you know, to then sort of be like auditioning for a Wendy's commercial. Right. <laughs> but um, I, right. early on, I ran into one of my teachers from CalArts at a commercial audition. And I think that sort of gave me permit. It was like a weird shock, but also gave me permission. She was auditioning. Awesome auditioning, okay. For, a, a, you know, a lot of these commercial auditions are in right. a big building right. and it's like right. seven commercials are right. auditioning for at, at the same time for different commercials and sort of just even to see her in that atmosphere right. was so jarring. <laughs> and then was just like, I'm a working actor. This is what you do. I was right. like, oh, okay. No, it makes sense, yeah. And yes, then my first television job was a, a, an episode of Hannah Montana in its first season. And just right away, I was like, oh, I don't care where I'm doing this. Yeah. It doesn't have to be theater. It's always fun. And especially that was a fun. I mean, it was like such an easy transition because it, there's a live audience. So right. it felt well, like yeah. theater. Yeah. Well, so Hannah Montana episode was 06. So even before that, mm -hmm. though, I mean, at the time, it probably felt like a, a big thing because what were those years from when you graduated until you started, you know, that Hannah Montana's when 06. When I graduated in 05. Right. Well, so right, it wasn't, you didn't have Gosh, too many years of hardship. I know that. Of, uh, I, hardship, I didn't but, realize. That makes me feel so good. But it sounds like you, there were, you know, a few years there where you were not feeling great about what you were doing every day. <laughs> Wait, why do you think it sounds like that? Well, because of what I was just saying about wanting no, to No, well, in other, other things you've written where you're like... I was ashamed like, of what I was well, doing. Well, you were ashamed, but it's, you, I don't think you dreamed of working at a yoga studio. Sure. I, yes, I did. My day job was working. I worked at three different yoga studios. Okay. Well, again, I was lucky to have grown up here. Right. So that was the first big advantage is that I got to graduate from theater school and I feel like half our class moved to New York to actually pursue theater and half stayed here here to either and I mean that's not even those stats are not correct because probably a third of our class just decided not to pursue acting right, right. but my family lived here so I just promptly moved back in with my mother <laughs> and had very little overhead right. and could work you know I actually enjoyed working at the yoga studios yeah. it was a very calm yeah, job yeah, right. exactly. calm atmosphere for for work and very flexible hours pun intended yeah. and <laughs> but that was so, so that I got go to go audition, audition. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. and I never had to wait tables I did work as a hostess but I feel like a lot of people immediately like just had jobs where they were working crazy hours to pay for sort of extravagant first right. apartments and I at least I didn't have vanity about living yeah. at home I was like that's fine I'm just going to keep my head down and audition constantly and work a job that can pay my cell phone bill yeah. and that, and for gas. <laughs> and that's all I sort of need, but very fortunate to like 
live in LA already and have a great relationship with my yeah. family and yeah. be able to 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 live with my mom for that time. But yeah, Hannah Montana was my first job. I took classes with Leslie Kahn and company. I feel like that was very enlightening to transition from theater school yeah. to just sort of learn about auditioning for television. Mm-hmm. And that was really the main thing I think that you take away from there. Like what are sides, the pages that you're given for an audition or things like that and how to be in a room. Did you find though, I mean, it's from everything I hear, like it's a totally different skill set than theater acting to be yeah. screen acting. So mm-hmm. was that an easy adjustment for you or did you find there was like hard to rein it in maybe? I guess it was an okay adjustment. I think what I had going for me was naive optimism, <laughs> you know, and uh, like true belief in, in myself and only later would get jaded and have very, you know, low self-esteem and body dysmorphia. <laughs> only after years in the industry, <laughs> when I first was auditioning, I was so excited um, to go into these rooms and take real big swings. I actually think that my theater studying theater it's funny to say my theater background because it's like then i never worked in theater again it's not too um, late. oh i know god no i would love to do it again yeah. but it terrifies me god i've had just like an inch of coffee and i'm like um <laughs> this is my scat man That's interview great. so yeah no i actually think it worked in my favor because at theater school like i said we really got to take big swings and make big choices right. Uh, Hannah Montana is a great example being the first job that I booked I went in and did like a crazy Long Island accent (laughs) that was not required of the character and halfway through it's like I'll never forget I was sitting in the hallway and I heard the casting director come out they were keeping me there to maybe read again and they started telling other girls to do this accent and then I ended up booking the job and after one rehearsal before we shot the show they were like everything's great just don't do that accent it doesn't make any sense (laughs) for our show so I think that was on my side and I do think it was helpful to take classes somewhere in LA and kind of realize yeah how to temper my own sort of excitement and energy down to a level but and then I started doing theater that's why I referenced Hamlet at the Rubicon Theater because I did a couple plays at the Rubicon and I was working on Hamlet when I booked Mad Men so I wasn't quite out of that theater phase and I guess that kind of spoke to Trudy as a character it was kind of in that same vein anyway and it was still like it was so fun for me to audition coming out of theater school and like really putting together a costume right. and doing my hair in a 60s style yeah. felt very fun yeah theatrical before we get into anything further with Mad Men your real name is not Allison Brie right well it maybe is now it my is. real it yes. is my real first and middle yes. name and my last name is Skirmerhorn so, so when my, did you decide name... that this was Skirmerhorn was not gonna be your oh, name in the biz when I was like 14 you know, years okay, old you know, even then. <laughs> I started workshopping right. names and was like this isn't going to work. <laughs> I have no shame for my Dutch no. heritage and Skirmerhorn. It's such a brilliant name, yep. but I have to say it just is butchered constantly. Yeah. Even by the time I was a teenager and I'd had enough substitute teachers right. and weird nicknames to just know <laughs> this is not going to work. Also, again, my, my dad being a singer songwriter goes by Terry Charles, his first and middle name. Okay. So he never used Skirmerhorn, so yeah, I yeah. felt like I didn't, wasn't going to have any guilt on his right, side right, to right. lop it off. And and Allison Brie, because Brie is my middle name, no, it didn't a, feel like I was totally changed. I certainly had a day of making a list of different. lots of different names, <laughs> and it seemed so weird to like choose a totally different right, right, last right. name, I think would have been crazy. <laughs> Do you? Does anyone 
like when you sign checks or you sign into something or whatever, are you Alison Brie or are you Alison Skirmerhorn? Oh, Skirmerhorn is still it's on still, my ID. Yeah. Yes, and it's been a, a it's come up for debate recently because I'm recently married. I'm yes. about two years into being married. Yes. Thank you, and. I think I will change my name to my married name, yeah. but not my state. It really won't make a difference to right. anyone but me and my family. Right. <laughs> um, but Franco is an easier name than Skirmerhorn for when you're at the airport or checking into a hotel or things like that. Right. Or driving onto a lot. Oh I feel like that's God, a more yeah. embarrassing. I'm constantly pulling up to lots for meetings or auditions or whatever and pulling out my ID and I don't know if they have Brie or Skirmerhorn right. and then I have to give them a monologue about it might be under it might just be under my first and middle <laughs> but but it could also be under the maybe you should check both right it's, it's never, a real pain in the reason. butt yes but you think professionally you might go by Alison Franco at some point oh no never no no no, no. it'll all be Alison Brie oh yeah but I've earned you... I've earned my place so. as a professional I, I wouldn't want to change my name professionally no it. no good well, so you mentioned Mad Men, and just in case there's anybody who's been living under a rock for the last, what is it now, 13 years at this well, point since it was one. Trudy Campbell sort of described alternatively as like a Lady Macbeth or a Stepford wife, a spouse of Pete Campbell, That's ambitious right. young ad man. This was 36 episodes between 2007 and 2015. It started out, though, as a... Just uh, it was As supposed to be one, star, one, one episode off. guest star. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I don't know if I think that was their way of like, just in case the person's terrible, <laughs> <laughs> we have an out. Right. right. Um, it was certainly said to me multiple times after booking the job. It's one episode. It's a possible recurring, but there is no guarantee of return. I was like, I got it. I'm still excited. <laughs> you can't get me yeah. down. This is my second job. Right. That's amazing. Um, what a second job. It was my third job. I actually did a horrible B horror movie yes. called Born okay. in between <laughs> between Hannah Montana right. and Mad Men, in which I'm impregnated with demon spawn. Oh. And then the the demon fetus also possesses me. It's like <laughs> Rosemary's baby meets the exorcist. We'll I to, kill people. Where can we find this? I eat their organs. <laughs> it, you certainly can find it. Right. People will not let me forget about forget it. About it. I right. have to own it. What was the first even awareness of Mad Men because it wasn't this big hyped show oh my God, or anything, not at right? all no no and when I auditioned for the show it hadn't aired yet so nobody knew what it was I I Trudy comes in in the fourth episode of the first season so none of the episodes had been picked up to series none of the episodes had aired so it felt very random it was the first original programming for AMC right. so it was kind of just like I had no idea what it was, but right. the material was so good. The writing was so good. Mm. And and actually coming from theater school and being in the midst of theater, it read like a play. Like, especially everything I was going out for was like, you know, CSI and, and Cold Case right. and like all these sort of procedural dramas where you're like a ditzy girl who dies <laughs> or <laughs> or the girlfriend who's of someone who died. Right. And this material really had weight and nuance. And I was so excited to audition for it. And in the two weeks after my audition, when I heard nothing, I was like devastated. Yeah. And people, you know, my friends were like, calm down. That's like every other audition. <laughs> but I was, I do think there are sometimes these jobs where you think to yourself, this is my job. Right. And, and 
And sure enough, you know, a week later, they couldn't find anyone else, so they <laughs> called me. But did Matt actually ever tell you what it was about you that made him go with you? He didn't tell me what it was about me, but he did tell me. He did take. He likes to take credit for it. <laughs> I, I know that our director of the episode didn't want to cast me, is what I was told. Okay. And so even though Matt had liked my performance, they did a whole nother. Uh, this is why it took weeks for me to hear from them. And usually in television, casting's pretty quick because there's a quick turnaround on, on yeah. shooting the episodes. And they had done a whole nother session of casting. And Matt, just his story is more that he went back and said, where's who? Where's that Brie girl? Where find the tape for that Brie girl. And that, and, and that was that. And then I did my one episode, which everyone assured me was just going to be one episode. And, and I was asked back for the very next episode. That so that great. was very reassuring. And how you'd responded to the material. It looked good to you. But at what point did you and maybe the others, but specifically you actually realize that it was good? Like in, oh, a, in a wider sense, this is, I guess it's twofold because I certainly cannot speak for the others or right, anyone right. else on that show. I, I, I loved working on Mad Men so much and I always felt so honored to be there, but definitely at a distance when you're sort of a recurring guest star on a show, I, I don't think you could ever feel true ownership over right. that show. So it's not like I was there day in and day out, like me and the gang all felt this way when the show was a breakout hit. I more was right. like, oh my God, maybe they'll ask me back for more episodes. Right. But two key moments were, well, the main thing I remember actually is that my boyfriend at the time's roommate got us a copy of the pilot episode before it aired oh. so i had shot maybe two episodes and then we somehow got our hands on the pilot and watched it. i was like oh my god what is this show gonna be you know it felt so cool to shoot it but i just had no idea and it's for this channel that runs old right. movies oh, yeah. <laughs> and we watched the episode in this guy's living room and i remember being really bummed because it was so good and so slow and like, you know, the way the drama plays out, it's it's, it's very paced out. Yeah. And I said to them, there's no way this show is going to survive. But I'm glad at least I'll have like some good scenes for my yeah. reel <laughs> because the material's so great. But I remember being like, oh, man, this is a risk. It's so good. No All one's right. going to watch it. How will they find it? And then obviously it became yeah. it was it was insane what it became. And it's very exciting. Well, I think. We, we'd previously had, I'm sure I'm forgetting others, but Elizabeth and Christina did this podcast. And I think they identified a moment where they were just like, what the hell happened was when the, I think their first Golden Globes was during the writer's strike. Yes. What did you guys do on that night? Do you remember? I mean, I think we just all went in. I think it was at a hotel they were saying, Went right? to the chateau and, like, had a little party. But with no real expectation that you're going to win anything. Definitely. No, no. Again, it's like I was just excited to be invited. Right, right, so right. the stakes were very low for me personally. <laughs> but definitely also terrible first introduction to being on a show. I was just like, so I guess this is what television is. You're on a show, and then it wins every award, right. and that's your life now. <laughs> well, and so as they continued to have you back, well, I guess probably on the earlier side, though, let's say, in what ways were you most connecting with this character, and in what ways was it the biggest stretch for you? Oh, interesting question. Well, I wasn't alive during the 60s, so that was a <laughs> stretch. A big, yeah. 
I think a lot of aspects of the character came quite naturally to me, to be honest. I think the most difficult thing, actually, and this goes back to your question about transitioning from sort of theater school to auditioning in L.A., I think Mad Men is where I really learned how to act on television, yeah. how to act for the camera. That was my boot camp. And probably if I were to watch back my performance in season one to like my performances in the final seasons, mm-hmm. you would see it grow yeah. in, in a way because I felt like I was learning so much. Doing that show was like doing Chekhov where you were living in the silence and filling in so much subtext about your character constantly. But who's setting those silences? And like, is that... The director's on a day-to-day basis. Is it Matt? Who's telling you guys, pace it out? Matt, Yeah? Well, I mean, especially for the first few seasons, Matt was king, and he was very much involved, from my perspective, in all aspects of everything. We would go and have a table read, and he would give us notes right after the table read, so you would already have these notes from him that if you didn't see him on set, you knew how he wanted you to do it, or at least what he wanted you to think about Mm -hmm. when you were doing the scene. And... You know, a lot of that stuff was written in as well. That she takes a pause. She puts her hand to her forehead. They were very specific, wow. that show. And so that became a very interesting challenge of how do I think and breathe and live as the character in an exciting way that's present in the moment, but make all of this stuff work that's written in exactly as Matt wants right. it played out. And Matt often was on set as I remember it when we were shooting the show, even if he wasn't directing an episode, which was most of the time, to really kind of keep everybody in lead everyone yeah. in the right direction. Yeah. Well, so the other thing, I guess I, you know, just going back and reading every interview I could find, it sounded like people would ask you in real time, you know, in those early years about this character whose basically total purpose in life is her marriage and her, yes. you know, steering that in the direction that she wanted it to go in. And meanwhile, at the time you were saying, I'm never getting married. I have no interest in it. <laughs> oh, there you go. This is good that you're feeding me <laughs> answers that I should be saying. No. That is, you're right. I guess when I think about the character in terms of her mannerisms and sort of, it was easy for me to take on this character in those ways. But personally, yes, couldn't have been further. Definitely did not want to get married, you know, when I was in my early 20s. Right, right. <laughs> I thought maybe I would never get married and certainly, you know, didn't want to have kids or think about family in that way. But I think that Trudy and I sort of aligned in terms of just our drive and ambition. And so I feel like that's a through line with every character I've played. And you just kind of put it into the window of what it applies to for that show. My drive for acting can easily be applied to Trudy's drive to have the perfect family and have a successful household life. Yeah. And the person I guess you probably worked the closest with would have been... Vinny. Oh, yeah. Always. All day, every day. I've hardly worked with anyone else. (laughs) This was was coming back to the thing we were talking about earlier. I forget what word do we put L-Y at the end. I was thinking closest, closely, worked the most close. Most closely. I like closely. (laughs) But uh, he was the guy that you spent most of your screen time with. Absolutely, yeah. How did you guys cultivate that to the point where for a while you're in love, but then... (laughs) It goes elsewhere, but... Well, Vincent is such a fantastic actor, and he is so unpredictable, and his performance is so alive that I think it was a fun challenge 
and he had worked already for so long, even though I think we might be the same age. You know, at that point, it was so interesting to kind of come into that job that was already so intimidating for me mm. and work with this person who's been working since he was a kid. So he has a lot of years under his belt yeah. and me zero. <laughs> you know, that was very intimidating, but it was wonderful because it really pushed me to hold my own like pretty immediately and find this character who is quite strong was very fun for me to come in and say, I've made choices and these are the choices. And, you know, in our first couple seasons, Vinny and I would get together on the weekends and rehearse our scenes. Just on your own. Oh, yeah. I'd go over to his house and we would read through the lines and we would like... It was so fun. It, again, it was like theater school, working through a scene with someone and kind of making choices, which, you know, eventually you just stop doing it because you don't have time. Right, <laughs> right, Everybody's right. like, wait, oh, we have lives and <laughs> we're you're spending so many hours for him, spending so many hours actually shooting the show right, that right. to squeeze that in. But I still look back thinking that's so funny and see, it's very uncharacteristic. For people working on television, yeah. I, I've never done that ever again with anyone else on a show <laughs> that I've worked on. So like, I find it very admirable looking back yeah, at us. We felt go-getters. Yeah, I think just we really took it seriously. How'd you feel about the way the show left those two? And if you had to imagine where it went in the years afterwards, where would that be? I love their ending. I'm an optimist. I'd like to think that they just lived happily ever after. But I'm sure that like Pete would continue to screw it up <laughs> some people it bothered because you know pete was so despicable and trudy was a goddess that's right, that's right. but i like a happy ending and i do think uh, for all of pete's indiscretions that trudy did still really love him and again it's success for her as well because right. she really didn't want their household to break up she just didn't want to be made a fool of on a constant basis right. so I'm sure that joy would last minimally as they <laughs> <laughs> fled the state. Right. Well, so from what I understand, Mad Men did not have you exclusively at any point. No. So they wanted you, though. That was... The well, it was a real gamble. Yeah. After our... I believe I had done two seasons on the show. Going into our third season, I mean, I was essentially a free agent, but... I would reserve all my time for Mad Men, but I feel like I wasn't booking anything very important. But I do remember a couple times where, like, I was in rehearsals for some other bad horror movie, and they'd be like, well, the dates conflict. We might want Allison for two episodes, but we're not sure. And I'd be like, cancel the movie. They have to quit. <laughs> Hold the dates open for Mad Men. And then just, like, maybe they wouldn't it's even use me in the episode. But Mad Men, um, so it was always the top priority. That was my top. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was, like, a sad girlfriend waiting by the phone, like, <laughs> when will they call me again? I love Love them so much but the difference um, is that you're saying though i saw it at some point they're saying we do want to make you a <laughs> regular and you well, did not you were the one now not so at the same time i honestly never really did like a great pilot season maybe i didn't have the best representation <laughs> i don't know but i don't ever people describe pilot season like, oh i'm going out for 20 pilots a day i'm like Oh, I never really did that <laughs> but i did have a couple pilot seasons where i would just kind of you know, you just throw everything at the wall mm -hmm. and see what sticks and went out for everything I could. And Give us a few examples. What could have well, been? Well, there was a show. So I don't remember anyone that worked on this. I don't want to insult anyone. But just the title alone, there was a pilot called $2 Beer that I don't <laughs> think went. But it always makes me laugh when people are like, how did you choose these right. amazing jobs? <laughs> I was like, I could have been on $2, $2 Beer, beers. guys. <laughs> I lucked out. It's all luck. Is um, that also when uh, this potential entourage thing happened? Or was that even before Mad Men? 
Oh, no, it wouldn't have been before Mad Men. I'm sure I was just auditioning for that as part of... There's just everything. You're just auditioning for two lines in anything. Maybe it was before. I don't remember. Well, so what happened is that I booked Community pretty much. But what really happened is that I booked a different pilot that was a drama. It was about lawyers. I thought it was a huge deal. (laughs) No, I didn't book it. Here's what. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, wait. Here's what happened. I was testing for it, right. and you know, at that level, when you go to test for something, you have to sign contracts for six years. Yeah. It's a very vulnerable position for actors yeah. to be in. Um, so, at the time that I was going to test for that pilot, we went to Mad Men and said, like, oh. We finally have some cards right, in our hands. Right. You know, do you want to make an offer as a regular? And they did, but it wasn't going to be for all episodes. It was exclusivity, but it wasn't much better of an episode commitment right. than I was already doing. At the I, time, I, I in the first couple it. seasons, I had done six episodes a season. I was in half the episodes, and I was feeling great about it. And financially also. I think you said it was, it was not going to be much it better. It was AMC, <laughs> and, you know, I think they just sort of, like, wanted to throw me a bone. and. Right. So we passed on the offer, and then I didn't book yeah, that pilot. <laughs> now you're thinking, <laughs> and what? And I thought, what have I done? Right. <laughs> Everything is ruined. I was devastated. And then Community came around and was such a swift and unexpected audition process where I went in one day, there were 50 girls in the waiting room and me, and then I went in another day and it was just me on camera and they ended up sending my, it was like a very easy, like uncharacteristically easy for pilots. And I think what it was is that they were in a bind. They'd been trying to cast this role for months and it was the final role that they needed to cast and they were like a week out from shooting the pilot so i didn't have to do the very nerve-wracking network and studio tests that you normally have to do that are huge hurdles and so difficult i still feel for actors it's such (laughs) an intimidating situation you can't describe walking into a boardroom of serious looking people that don't laugh barely smile and you're giving it all you got (laughs) and then you just leave thank you so much did you know at that time that i believe this is the case they were at first not looking for a white girl to play that part i think they wanted an asian girl i did know that because in a later season we had a character called asian annie that they brought in to sort of be my nemesis briefly (laughs) (laughs) that was very funny but yeah, I did know that, but I don't have any comment on it. Yeah, no, no. Well, um, again, just in case somebody's listening and has not yet seen Community and they want to go get started, just the Annie Edison, quirky former Adderall addict, now enrolled at Greendale Community College. This was on NBC 2009 through 2015. And you guys had just basically an insane roller coaster of the experience <laughs> here. So just to, I guess, tee it up for you to, if you can comment on this, First of all, sure. Dan Harmon, gone season four, back season five, mm-hmm. time slots constantly changing, Death Watch constantly because of the ratings, but <laughs> oh, then yeah. they're also not promoting it properly, no. which is not going to help the ratings. No, no. So maybe I'm leaving some other things out, but like, how do you deal with that when your show is always up and down? Oh, it was the best of times <laughs> and it was the worst of times. Community was such a fun job. I think that the best part was the people that I got to work with. And it was my first time as a regular on a show and feeling that camaraderie and family that you get from being with these people day in and day out. And I think that everything we went through on that show just made us closer. Mm -hmm. And there were constant hurdles. I mean, not to mention 
Chevy Chase's right. involvement in the show. <laughs> I loved working with Chevy, who's wonderful, a controversial figure yes, on our true. set. In the six years that our show was on, we may have seen three different presidents of NBC. Right. So what happened is that the show got picked up and then very immediately new people were empowered at NBC and they were like, we didn't choose this show. What is it? We don't understand it. You know, at the same time, you had a very volatile Dan Harmon, who creatively is so brilliant and was really pushing the boundaries in network comedy. And I think that I'll always be proud of the work that we did on that show in that way. And he really fought the good fight for every episode, every step of the way. And the show got weirder and weirder. And it was so fun. Like, I just have to, I would love to use more titillating adjectives. <laughs> you can say but, whatever you want. Um, this no, but well, all I just keep thinking of is fun because we had such a blast. Yeah. And I think that that is what got us through everything. And our hours were notably horrific. Yeah. I mean, people still, I feel like, in the industry, they're still, we're notorious. Our writers were doing all-nighters all the time. And as actors, every Friday was a Friday, meaning that we would shoot until Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And it was impossible to have a personal life. But we had so much fun. And we really believed in the work we were doing because I think we were all really behind Dan in terms of pushing these boundaries. Mm -hmm. And everything felt so experimental and rebellious. But also, from what I, I think Ken Jong was saying, like just the emotional grind of network television after a few years, oh, when man. you know maybe to some extent mentally you would by that point like to be elsewhere or whatever. He was like, there was points where he himself was like, I just wanted to cry. And oh, we yeah. all, I mean, yeah. we all took turns crying yeah. on a regular basis, yeah. just sometimes out of you know exhaustion and delirium, mm. but. It didn't feel good to be on a show that we all loved and cared about so much and that had a really avid fan base, but that was not promoted, not supported by the network. We never knew if we were coming back. Our showrunner was fired and <laughs> rehired, but it was always well respected by critics and by people in the industry. So there was a validation in terms of us thinking the material is good. What we're doing is quality, but emotionally it was difficult to kind of be constantly pushed and pulled around. I feel like everyone had a different breaking point. You right. know, Donald Glover left the show at the beginning of season five. I think I was more ready to leave when we were fully canceled by NBC <laughs> and picked up by Yahoo. And right. that sort of happened on the final day. This is true, where it was like, well, if Sony's going to sell the show, they have until June 9th or right. whatever. And of course, June 9th at 2 p.m., <laughs> I got the call being like... So you're doing a sixth season at yahoo.com. Uh, and I cried. Yeah, like, because you can't get out of it at that point. No, I couldn't get out of it because we had signed six-year yeah. contracts. And I think also, again, after fully being canceled by NBC, that felt so final right. that we had all really mourned the loss of the show, those of us that were still on the show and cared about the show. It was kind of, it was heartbreaking, and we had had so many heartbreaks before that. In our third season, we were pulled off the air and put in another time slot. And that was like jarring and heartbreaking. Yeah. So by season five, I thought, okay, well, this is goodbye. It's fine. You know what? Now I'm getting excited about what else I might do. Right. And then they pulled us back in. Of course, and that was just a myriad of emotions and sort of mixed feelings, I think, going back into our sixth season. But once we were there shooting it, just as fun. Right. We had Paget Brewster. We had Keith David. You know, we had these breaths of fresh air. Breaths. Yes. <laughs> that just didn't sound right in that context. Um, 
it was really fun having Paget and Keith on in our final season because I actually think while all of us kind of came schlepping back to be like, I guess now Here we're we on Yahoo yeah. and we moved <laughs> studios and we're shooting literally in a basement underneath no. where they shot Parks and Recreation. Oh, no. <laughs> they had to write in the fact that there were now giant pillars in the middle of like our cafeteria set oh. <laughs> because we were in this basement dungeon. But we had these new cast members and bless them because Paget would come to set every day. And Joel McHale, honestly, is a hero and mm. was the best number one to work with because he is so positive. He is such a good person. And his enthusiasm for the show, I think, carried us all all the time. He was working on The Soup at the same time mm -hmm. and was never sleeping and was working longer hours than any of us. So I feel like any time I had a moment of being like, why is this show doing this to me? <laughs> I would look at Joel and be like, I guess I can't complain right. if he's being so positive. Well, it's yeah. weird because in obviously a very different genre than Mad Men, but both had this thing where the people who watched it were obsessed. Yeah. And critics not loved it. Everybody watched it. But yeah, not <laughs> but huge not ratings at any people time. People watched it. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they overlapped, right? You would be Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. Literally in the same day. Oh yeah. We had a couple of days. So there was this very cool thing that happened in that Matt Weiner really fought for me to stay on Mad Men after I started working on community. Most networks have something in your contract that says, you know, you have a limited number of episodes you can do on another show. And every season he would write to them or send them a list of one year, I mean, it's not like Matt, I'm sure, you know, he has however many assistants putting this together, but still, yeah. one year he sent our executives at NBC a list of the cast of Mad Men and every NBC show any of them had ever oh, been on okay. requesting me to, you, said, you can't let her out for five this right, season. Right. And every year they would let me do it. So that was a real gift and very exciting as a young actress to have these two big, exciting yeah. jobs. So different. I mean, it was probably a handful of days, you know, maybe three days in the scheme of things that I actually shot both on the yeah. same day. But those days were so exciting <laughs> and the characters felt so different to me. Right. One was a teenager right. <laughs> at a community right. college with a drug problem right. previously with yes. a drug problem <laughs> and the other, you know, a 60s housewife and the sets were so different. Everything. It was very fulfilling to go back and forth. I loved the way that Gillian Jacobs described. There was one thing where she was saying that community is, quote, basically a live action cartoon because yeah. well, there's no. It's in that way so different where Mad Men over years were worrying about how one thing's going to affect the next thing with it. And here it's like any episode to the next is not really the ordering and it's not as yeah. important, right? No, I think they were always trying to make it even more that way where every episode was self-contained yeah. so people could tune in Join at any it. time. Yeah, yeah. But definitely it was so fun to pop into Mad Men. And as my schedule was more difficult with community and as they had, you know, more and more new characters appearing on Mad Men, Sometimes I would just come by for one scene in an episode, but every time I was there, the character was moving forward and growing and changing and had some new perspective or some new hurdle. So that was so fulfilling. And then I'd run over to community <laughs> and we were just kids on a playground yeah. making fart noises, <laughs> pretending to be in a spaceship and the floor is lava. Right. And it played into like all my just little girl like dreams of being an actor right. and it you know the one that for whatever reason this is just a non sequitur but when i think about community the thing about you're going to shut down the computer security system so that they can access porn that <laughs> i just have this flash of I you like even, i don't even remember 
screaming at the IT lady, you gotta make it happen. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, wait, I do remember that because there's a great, first of all, I think the IT lady was played by Paget Brewster, Is which might right? be a good yeah. callback. And also, uh, certainly if community fans listen to this, they'll be like screaming yeah, yeah, at the right. podcast right now. No, it was so-and-so. <laughs> but also that was a reference to Gary Oldman in The Professional. Right. Great movie. Great movie. Leon, The Professional, right? Well, it depends on what country you view you, it that's, in. That's so right. It sounds like you're so <laughs> no. continental, intercontinental. Oh, my God. Well, Very exotic. <laughs> <laughs> so get it. when you're doing drama at that level and comedy at that level at the same time and sometimes on the same day, I know you're saying you enjoy both. You love doing both shows. But like which actually comes more naturally to you? Oh, I, I mean, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> she said hesitantly. <laughs> I don't know why I'm weird about admitting that. I think it took me so long to like admit to myself that I'm a comedic actress and when I was younger, especially, I mean, high school doesn't count, but in college, really working on ingenue characters and dramatic material a lot and thinking of myself in a certain way as a more dramatic actress, I did not think, oh, I'm going to go into comedy. I never had a desire to do the Groundlings or UCB mm -hmm. or things like that, or God forbid, stand up or anything <laughs> like that. Did not think of myself in that way. But when I look at those two jobs specifically, I know that I was my more true self on the set of community. The way that we would joke around with each other, that sort of sense of humor would filter into our characters and into the show is a part of my personality and how I am. On Mad Men, I think I probably looked like a very different person, much more professional <laughs> and focused and always slightly intimidated. Mm -hmm. But I guess I hate to say that because I don't want anyone listening to, to limit you to that. Yes. Well, I saw there was literally <laughs> to an article. Fail to employ me. Ellison Brie does not want to be known as a comedic actor. That was like a, literally uh, a headline. And I hate that headline right. too because I don't begrudge comedy. I love it so much. And I also will refer to myself as a woman in comedy, a comedic yep. actress. But yeah, I think it's probably, I mean, I can't, I was going to say like with all actors, but I shouldn't <laughs> put my neuroses on them. There's just a constant fear of being penned into a box. Yeah. And even now, with however much work I've done, I still feel penned into it. The fear is someone listens to this and doesn't want to cast me. I mean, as recent as last year, I was told when, you know, going out for a film, they're looking for dramatic actresses. So she's a comedic actress uh, and it bothers yeah, me. Yeah, it's reductive. <laughs> I mean, also, you might just send them some screeners of Mad Men. Well, I like... well also, I had just, you know, the post had just come out. Right. Scenes with Meryl Streep. Right. It's a Steven Spielberg uh, film. And I sort of thought, have they seen my yeah. work recently? <laughs> Well, so within three weeks of each other in the spring of 2015, both Mad Men and Community ended. Was that moment for you, in all honesty, scary, exciting? What were you thinking? It was exciting. Yeah. Yes. As we talked about, Community was such a roller coaster that by the time it was over, I was ready for it to be over. And I think it had gotten to a point where I was looking less at what a great opportunity I had in front of me being on this show. And I was seeing more the opportunities I was missing of the films I wasn't getting to audition mm -hmm. for because I was stuck in this contract and 
things like that. And Mad Men, I didn't feel that way, but that show had been on for so long yeah. and it felt like I admired that it came to a natural conclusion. Right. And I always admire when filmmakers or people decide to end their show before it gets canceled. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ended on their it's, terms. Yeah, right, right. Seemed really nice to get to say goodbye to that show. But I was happy. It felt like a nice new chapter to open up and... Yeah, I really only remember being excited for about a year yeah. until I was like, oh, people don't want to hire me <laughs> in those anymore. big movies. I guess I'll well, <laughs> do we, more television. I'm glad you brought up movies because even in the midst of those two series and then as you know, we were talking about going on afterwards, you did a number of ones that certainly got into the zeitgeist. I mean, five-year engagement. Tell me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell me which ones yeah. they were that you think of. Well, the, I, the I, yeah, maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the five-year engagement was a good one. That's a good one. Emily Blunt's sister, British yeah. accent. Yeah. Lego movie, certainly. Ah, oh, I yes. mean, great. Sleeping with other people. Ah. Oh. The disaster artist with, I guess by that point, you were already basically family members. Yeah. Uh, that was cool with the Francos. And then... As you mentioned, as Kay Graham's daughter and Kay Graham being Meryl Streep in Spielberg's The Post. So how important to you throughout this whole period and then after those shows ended, was it to you to have a movie career? And what, from your perspective, are the biggest differences these days between the two? Between, between how important uh, it was to me then. Oh, between yeah, film no. and how, between how important it was to me then and, and now. And now, right. Very little difference. Yes, yes. It was always important to me just wanting to build my career. Certainly while working on Mad Men, yeah. again, because for me, that job took so little time. I would come in and shoot for a day per episode, and then I wouldn't work for weeks or months. Mm -hmm. So I really was just trying to do anything and everything. Mm -hmm. And then when I started working on Community, I guess that afforded me the opportunity for more people to see me. And then I did audition a lot more for comedic films because, you know, Community, I think, was just seen by yeah. and known by a lot of people yeah. in the comedic community 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 <laughs> but yeah it was always important to me when I was younger I very much felt like I have to do it was very pressing it was urgent that I do films on my hiatus I don't want to just be thought of as a television actress and it was almost like a mandate I had with my team of I will do two films a year and if you look <laughs> at my resume I pretty much, pretty much did yeah. They weren't always the best films. This is a problem with that okay. kind of a mandate. So and what was it? Scary Movie 4 or what 4? How dare what you? That? Not... Scream, Scream 4. 4. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so you didn't mention that as, didn't as bring one that, that... Broke the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well. I actually loved working on Scream 4. I was such a fan of the Scream movies. It was right. great to be able to work with Wes Craven, a master. Yes. Yes. In the horror space. But yes, I was definitely much more concerned with quantity over quality, which actually, I don't know that I would do it differently going back. Right. I do think that when you're a young actor, you want to take any opportunity. And for me, it was more about whether or not I could do a great job in that role. And would I have fun? And is there something in the role that I feel like I could bring something to? I don't think of anything that I've worked no. on, even some of the stinkers. Well, I but what's funny is also because like what you're referring to as of this sort of sense that film is on a pedestal for mm -hmm. TV people, Mad Men was instrumental it seems like in changing that. Definitely. Now definitely I don't think was. young actors like that are just starting out today think about it in those ways as much. It's true. I don't think so because there's so much quality work being done on television and you're right Mad Men really broke that open and changed it and now you see so many people from film working in television. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's as big of a 
divide. And certainly I've been afforded much greater opportunities for like richer, fuller characters in the television yeah. space. Was there a deliberate pausing of a beat before committing to another TV series before Glow? Yes, but only for a year. I really wanted to take a full year because the idea of jumping into another show after finishing these two shows that I'd been on for so much of my life (laughs) seemed daunting. And I just didn't want to make the decision quickly. So there were some things that right away I didn't want to even dive into pilot season or thinking about being on another show. And it maybe was only a year, year and a half. And then I said, let's start looking at television again. But I wanted to be very careful about the thing that I chose. And I didn't feel like I wanted to be on a network show because that experience had been harrowing. <laughs> Was it primarily like also the number of episodes that you have to do for it's network? So many. Right. I do think, yes, I wanted the freedom right. to still have opportunities on the film side. And I guess I was worried. You know, Community was always, we were lucky to be on that show and get to, because we did so many genre episodes and just crazy episodes that we had fun. We got to break out of the box and play different sides of our characters. But I was worried about signing on to another network show that wouldn't see that kind of character growth season to season. And, you know, even by the end of Community, as I said, I was like, I'm itching to get out of here, maybe. And that was a great job. So... Yes, it was about episode amount, sort of, (laughs) but also just I wanted depth of character. And again, it was really nice, actually, to be able to have had those experiences on a network show and on a cable show and to see the difference in the way that they were treated, the creative freedom that Mad Men was afforded, that was a constant battle on community. And that certainly influenced my decision making. So how does it go? You just like get a call one day. Are you interested in doing wrestling? <laughs> like that's, I feel like. I wish. <laughs> I just am trying to imagine how that initially is broken to you and what your gut reaction would have been. I'm sure that you've read about me fighting for this role. But the first time I heard about it, my agents called me and said, Genji Cohen is producing a show. It's about a women's wrestling TV show in the 80s. And I said, that's the one. I'm in. That's all I need to know. It's everything I never knew I always wanted. What, like, so was it Genji Khan? We should say Orange is the New Black people probably most closely associate. But, like, was it just the vibe of, you know, this is the kind of thing she does so that whatever it's about, it sounds good? I think it just sounded so different from anything I had read. I read a bunch of network pilots yeah. despite my mandate. Right. I was open to anything, really. I don't want to just shit on <laughs> networks. I was open to anything. I just wanted it to have an effect on me in a guttural way. So that's tough with shows that are written joke to joke to joke, which obviously have value and I love as a fan. But anyway, I had been reading a ton of material and everything just felt kind of the same, especially, and I think that probably has a lot to do with what's coming my way. Of course, the characters are going to be similar. People say, oh, we think of you as this type of character. So all the offers I'm getting are just What were you hearing they were thinking of you as? I mean, you know, the quirky girl who's got a lot of gumption and she's, I don't know. Well, the one that I kept, I gathered, pissed you off. I guess you could describe Ruth that way. What? Was wholesome. Oh, wholesome. That's not a word you you like? (sighs) I don't know. You know, you say things when you're younger, you make these decrees. Don't ever call me wholesome. I hate that. And then a few years later, you're like, oh, I don't know. Who cares? What was disappointing to me, I guess, 
was that I had worked on these two shows that in my mind couldn't have been more different. And the thing that people took away was you're a hometown girl. She's sweet. She's a little, I don't know, strung out. (laughs) She's type A. She's definitely type A and she's buttoned up. And I guess I was so surprised that people were still able to put me in a box so easily, which I guess, yeah, yeah, different to me. And I guess taking a step back, I can see how there are similarities between Annie and Trudy in that way of being type A and being a bit buttoned up. And those are the only ways. So sure, getting sent stuff like that and also just sort of straightforward kind of sweetheart leading women on a quirky comedy show. Not bad material, just... I I just wanted that extra thing. So hearing this idea, the log line alone (laughs) was just shattering. You know, everything you read is a workplace comedy or a school comedy or a medical drama or, you know, just so easy to put everything. I'm talking about people putting me in a box and then I'm putting these things and shows in boxes. But it is sort of the way that it is. And so this thing just felt like it shook it all up. And then, you know, a quick Google search later, I had watched some clips from the original show glow and my mind, I was just exploding. I was bursting. This is the show. This is the show. Finally, they sent me the pilot to actually read Mm -hmm. and the writing was so good. And the character was so complex and interesting, a little bit dirty, not at all buttoned up or prissy, not at all (laughs) fucking wholesome. (laughs) She wrestled, she fucks her best Mm -hmm. friend's husband, Mm -hmm. which was a very cool reveal. Spoiler alert, if you've been under a rock, I don't apologize. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was, fun fact, Harry Crane from Mad Men. That's right. I heard that Matt Weiner was... Like disturbed. (laughs) He was disturbed um, by that. But yeah, just immediately I was so drawn to every aspect of it and determined to fight to the death to get the role. And they damn near made me. I auditioned four times. (laughs) I had to come in for a pre-read with casting, just me and the casting director, which is something you often do when you're starting out and nobody knows who you are. It's like I couldn't decide if they were trying to deter me (laughs) a little to see if I was more high maintenance or something than I was. But luckily, you know, I'm pretty low maintenance and think very little of myself. (laughs) So I was happy (laughs) to come in (laughs) as many times as they wanted. Before my final audition, I had auditioned twice in L.A., once for casting, once for our producers. I was flown to Toronto because Betty Gilpin was shooting a show there. She and I put an audition on tape with nobody in the room, which was very strange. I was like, they fl- it was weird that they flew me all the way here and our, no, none of There's our producers no are here. <laughs> and this was because they... Was she on board for that part? And they wanted to see if you, like, how did this? They hadn't yet cast her, but I do think she was likely the only person they were thinking about for that role. And yeah. our showrunners, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mitch, had worked with her on Nurse Jackie. Right, 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 right. But still, it was, she and I were both still auditioning for the roles at that point. And then one last time, they flew Betty to L.A. and we read together one more time so that we could have sort of a stronger tape, I think, for them to send to Netflix. And before that final audition, there was a, like, a come to G, that is not the right term, but, like, a call with my team to sort of say, are they stringing me along? Like, I'm happy to go back in as many times, but if this is going to end in heartbreak, I need a hint now, or I'm going to be really blindsided. 
When did you find out? Apparently, their original thing was, we want somebody who's unknown. That's maybe what the yes, issue was, right? I do th- yes, which is so crazy because I wasn't that known. Whoa. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I think they wanted someone unknown and unconventional was sort of the main word that they were using, which does sort of immediately clash with, as I'm describing what people were thinking of me, very conventional girl next door. <laughs> right. So I understand why they didn't think immediately that I would be right for the role. And that's also part of what made me want the role so badly. I said, oh, I'm not what you imagined. Exactly. Give me this part so I can show the rest of the world that I can play something that they might not have imagined me playing. And again, just for the listener who is catching up, Ruth Wilder, struggling actress, joins a group of, I guess you could say misfits. I don't know if that's an appropriate word, but in forming this wrestling operation, I guess part of the appeal might have been that it's not really one character. Oh, definitely. We get to do it all. It's two two characters and truly the range of what we get to do. It's my dream job. It's all rolled into one. We get to play crazy, broad wrestling characters, big comedy, playing to the mezzanine. And then we get to play really nuanced, dramatic, interpersonal relationships. It's the dream job. That's great. (laughs) Well, and just as you know, in our last couple minutes here, I just want to establish, though, how... Jeez, oh, I feel like I talked way too no, much this about has been all that gr- other stuff. No, well, well, well... All that other lame stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were not like somebody who was an athlete no. growing up? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, theater games. Right. <laughs> I was not athletic at all. I tried to be on the cross-country running team for one day my junior year (laughs) and said, not for me. I was not ever athletic. And that's been one of the interesting things to find out about this job is my capacity for athleticism. It feels incredibly validating to have Chavo Guerrero Jr. pro wrestler tell me you're very naturally athletic. This stuff comes to you so easily. I'm shocked not that my dad's even into this, but I've been calling him to, hey, Chavo says I'm a, I'm a natural <laughs> athlete, dad. He's like, that's fine, honey. I've always loved you how you how you are. Well, it sounds though like you maybe even before this, I don't know chronologically where this happened, but you were somewhat athletic because I was reading an article. Somebody was doing a profile and vomited trying to keep up with you going up to the Griffith. <laughs> I mean, that Park was post-glow. <laughs> post-glow. Okay, so you were already in. Well, I work out with a personal trainer, Jason okay. Walsh, and I had started training with him years before before Glow was on the radar while I was still working on Mad Men and Community, just sort of as an experiment, you know, trying every different type of exercise in Los Angeles. And I did really gravitate towards strength training. And he trains a lot of actors for athletic roles for action movies. You know, he trains Matt Damon for Bourne movies, and he trained Emily Blunt for... Edge of Tomorrow. Thank you. Well, I, I was, always want to say live, die, repeat, but, but that was just the like tagline. Um, it was such a cool movie, by yeah. the way. I'm a big yeah. Tom Cruise fan. I love that he does all his own stunts. Yes. I watched Emily train for that movie. I had friends that were training with Jason, and mm-hmm. Emily was the final push when we worked on Five Year Engagement to right. say, you should come train with my right. trainer, Jason. And then, you know, a couple years later, watched her train for Edge of Tomorrow and was so blown away by it. First of all, just like... Oh, if I book an action movie, it'll get me in an insane shape on on someone else's dime. What a great system. (laughs) But it was sort of mind-blowing to watch a woman gain this control over her body in so many ways and this inner 
power to harness that to watch her go from doing one pull up and then I'd come in and she was doing six or seven and then I wanted to set those kinds of goals for myself and I truly was always kind of looking for the right project to get me to that place and there would be other actiony films that I was going to audition for and would always come right into yeah. Jason was the first person I wouldn't <laughs> want to jinx it and tell anyone else hey I'm, gonna, I'm in the running for this action movie let's start let's up the ante <laughs> so glow finally became that, that thing one, yeah. that got to push us over the edge and yes I had had this desire I guess to be an athlete having never thought of myself in that way or even Previously. knowing that that was a desire wow well, so season one shows these ladies learning how to wrestle and trying to make the show. Season two shows them making that show. And I guess the biggest thing about it that is different in you know from the vast majority of what else is on TV is that 14 core actresses, right? Almost every episode is written and directed by women. You've got female showrunners and creators. And then you're dealing in both seasons with issues that are not necessarily coming up in most shows. So whether it's the abortion arc in season one, which I think resonated as much as anything with people there, or in season two, the kind of Me Too moment, which was also the probably the most talked about. I just, I guess I just wonder, being surrounded by women in a way that was certainly not true of on the set of Mad Men and not community, and I guess nothing else prior to this for you, and then dealing with these sorts of issues at work. What's that like? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. The whole experience on GLOW has been life-changing. Learning how to wrestle alongside 13, 14 other women is extraordinary. We all kind of had moments of realizing our own power. It was a very empowering experience to realize what we could harness physically and also at the same time to give that power away so freely. Wrestling really requires cooperation from your partner and teamwork and the process of learning how to wrestle and be on this show I think it forced us all to take bigger risks to be really open with each other and that has translated into the way that we make the show and then to be able to work with so many women it's just so freeing the set feel it's honestly difficult for me to describe and this is two years of extensive interviews I've done about this show. And I'm sure I always put it into words in one way or another, but it's hard to describe how different and freeing it feels. But that is to say that it's such an open environment. I guess I feel like we women in the cast and crew and our writers, we all have such ownership over our space. You don't feel scared or intimidated I think we are intimidating and that's been really different and it's cracked everything open. I think it's made me want to take bigger risks as an actress. And I feel like I get to on the show and on set, I've found that, you know, as a bit of a leader on this show, it's fun to inhabit that role in a way that is not crazy or (laughs) aggressive top of, yeah def oh yeah absolutely and and more than anything i feel a real responsibility to be kind and professional and grateful and set a good example for you know just not be a diva and really kind of be on time (laughs) or you know within a five minute window (laughs) 
let's not get crazy. We lose traffic. But it's just been an incredible experience and also so joyful because everyone's just so open. And I've never been on a set before with so many people that are so accepting and loving of their bodies. And that's a major challenge of this whole show. It's a big theme of the show is women and how they inhabit their bodies and how they take ownership of their bodies. And especially in the wrestling space, that's a real muddy topic. And I love our writers for the way that they do push these boundaries and they look at all these topics never in a heavy-handed way it's so interesting for me to think about the fact that we have done an abortion episode a me too episode we talk about women and their bodies we talk about working mothers we talk about the dynamics of female producers in the 80s and things like that and it never feels like it's a message episode or anything like that. It is a comedy. And I'm thankful that I think people have really been along for the ride with us. And there's a lot of great balance there to every episode that we have these notes of comedy. And then we have some shades of drama, some shades of, you know, everything that we're able to talk about a number of very important topics and current without driving the nail into right. people's heads well so like that that old expression yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well the last thing i just i guess i want to ask is looking ahead we leave the ladies going off to vegas how far away are we from a season three what else is going on i saw that your husband is directing a movie that you will be in yeah just give us like what's coming up so that what yeah. uh, what can tide yeah. us over yeah. until season yeah. three here what's coming up well, I guess I can't say anything about season three, but I believe it will be coming out during the summer. That sounds so vague. Of, of this year. This year. Oh, yeah. Oh, summer of this year, you'll get season three. I directed an episode. That's awesome. This season, so I'm very excited about that. And yes, I'm about to start shooting in about a week a film called The Rental, written by my husband, Dave Franco, and Joe Swanberg. They co-wrote it together. Dave will direct as his directorial debut. It's like a horror thriller? It's a horror thriller. It's a character-driven horror thriller starring myself and Dan Stevens Mm -hmm. and Jeremy Allen White and Sheila Vand. And it's a pretty contained thriller. We're shooting it in Oregon It's so well written. I'm so proud of him and very excited to be involved. And it's really cool. It's a real slow burn type of thriller, I guess, where I think his goal was to get people to really care about these characters before bad things may happen to them. (laughs) Well, the directing, that's really, is that something you've always wanted to do yourself? Yes. Last year and this year have been interesting in our household because maybe through frustrations with opportunities coming our way we've begun to branch out and I have wanted to direct in the television space for years and years I would tentatively ask about it when I was working on community mm-hmm. but it was such a tumultuous show <laughs> and I think it was daunting for me too right. I would like sort of ask and then sort right. of back out of mm-hmm. asking but season one of glow I did speak to Liz and Carly about directing and really sort of put that out there. I wanted to put that be in their yeah. bonnet for whenever. Yeah. So I was very excited. And I'm so grateful that it was my first opportunity directing on this show that it lives in my bones. Yeah. And I'm at such an advantage. All the actors trust me already yeah. for the most part. Everyone was so wonderful. And our crew is so great. But yes, directing 
for television always on my radar. And Dave has been working more in the producerial space. He's so creative. He's so driven. And he has a ton of great ideas. So he's finally getting those ideas out on paper and out into the universe. And he wasn't originally going to direct this film. And then he decided to. And he has such a great eye. He's so specific. He has such great taste. I know he's going to be a wonderful director. Christian Springer is our director of photography on the film. He shot our first season of Glow. He shoots all seasons of Atlanta and works with Donald Glover on all of his projects, Guava Island. So I think the look of it is going to be very unique and just yummy. That's awesome. Yeah, and Dave's been writing a bit more, and then that's inspired me to write a bit more. So the two of us, we've been sort of transitioning into the producerial writer-director space, and it's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it thank you for having me absolutely thanks very much for tuning in to awards chatter we really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on itunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well if you have any questions comments or concerns you can reach me via twitter at twitter.com slash scott feinberg and you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at THR.com slash The Race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in.